Acts chapter 3. Let me just tell you again, uh, I know we're talking about coaching a lot, but here's what I love about having Koshi here last week. If you weren't with us, Koshi's a, um, a pastor in Delhi, India. Um, literally less than a percentage of people there are believers, mostly Hindu. And, you know, for me, I'm just kind of watching him talk, and I keep thinking, it's almost like he stepped off the pages of Acts. You know, here's a guy who's doing every day what we're reading about in Acts. And that's so refreshing for me. Um, today we're going to see that again in Acts chapter 3. We're going to talk about Peter and John. And I think you're going to get the same feeling. Like, wow, that, I want you to walk out kind of inspired. Like, I know it's a little bit weird, maybe a little bit scary, but I think we could do this. It would change Stanley County. It would change our county if we walked out of this place this morning. Not thinking about this just as what two guys that followed Jesus did a long, long time ago, but rather, I think we can follow Jesus and this can happen today. Okay? That's what I love about Austin with coaching. I hope you took that away from watching him and hearing him speak. Like, you know, this is not just about the New Testament church. This is about today. So we're just going to kind of walk. Verse by verse through Acts chapter 3, we're going to go through um, verse 10. I'm going to read it, and we'll just kind of talk about what's going on, and we'll make a couple points, and then we'll go eat lunch. Cool? Cool. No? No, we'll see you eat lunch. Cool. Who wants to go eat lunch if somebody's cooked it or buying it for you? Yeah. All right. Acts chapter 3, here we go. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the, set, at the time of the prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to a different gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to bed from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him and said, John, did the man, then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Verse 6 says, then Peter said, silver or gold I don't have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. God, I just want to give you my tongue for the next few minutes. Um, this is a great story, but my prayer, God, is that it would not just be a story for us. I don't want to just talk about what's happening there. God, I want us to figure out how it's supposed to happen here. And I'll confess to you, God, that I feel very inadequate for this one, this task, God. Would you help us, Lord, not just to understand the Bible, but to be people that are bold enough to actually try to live it? Would you help me not just to talk about the Scripture, but to communicate clearly, God, how you would want us to respond to it? We trust you, God. We love you. You're so good to us. And we want to be people that are of you.
just going to tell you right up front that I thought we were going to go in a whole different direction today. So um, I had this awesome clip from The Princess Bride. So I love that movie. Have you seen The Princess Bride? Yeah. Those ones of you that chuckle have seen it. Um, it's inconceivable, whatever it movie that is. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do that next week, um, which means you now have a week. If you've never heard of The Princess Bride, you've never seen The Princess Bride, you have a week to watch The Princess Bride and try to figure out which clip I'm going to use. Um, it's a great movie. But I wanna, we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction today, okay? And I'm, I'm kind of struggling with this because... I literally, I don't, the last thing I want is for us just to talk about this. I and mean, that's what happens a lot. We just kind of talk about the verses, and then we go home, and you go to lunch, and you say stuff like this. That Paul guy, he is just getting better and better every week. <laughs> Isn't he? I mean, can you believe how far he's come in just a year? Can you just imagine how big he's going to be in another year? <laughs> I know that's what you say. You never go home and say, what's up with Paul? <laughs> never say that, right? But you know what? For a lot of pastors, that's the win, if I'm honest. I mean, we, you, I mean, all of us that teach, we want you to go home, and we really do want you to say that you're amazing and great, but that's not the way Jesus defines the win. The way he defines the win is that we could stink at what we do, but if we are able to communicate the passion properly, you would go out and do it. And we could be the worst teachers in the world, but as long as you go do it, then Jesus says the gathering wins. So we don't, we're not trying to build this thing off of me or off of Phil or off of you know, the fact that Coach is going to be here once every other year or something. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to build it off of a people that are radical enough to actually believe, this is crazy talk, okay? It's crazy talk. That this is something we should do. And that when we do it, God's kingdom grows, even if it costs us something. Okay? So I want to make sure that today, I almost want to give you permission. Don't go crazy with this, okay? I almost want to give you permission any time during the message, if I've said something that you absolutely don't understand, for you just to kind of go, stop! And just say, can you back up and say that again? And it won't freak me out if you do that. Now, if all of you do it at the same time, that'll freak me out, because that means I'm sucking. Okay, but anyway, let's just move on from there. Let's just hope for the best. Um, I made a statement two weeks ago. We were talking about the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and I made this statement. That... Pentecost was not so much about the church getting the Holy Spirit. It was more about the Holy Spirit getting more of the church. You remember that? And we said this. We said, the more we empty ourselves, the more room there is in our lives for God's power. And this is an obvious principle, okay? The more that we empty ourselves, then the more room there is for God's power. Last week, seeing Koshi. Here's a man who has emptied himself. Would you agree with that if you were here? I mean, he could have any job he wants in India. He's from the upper class caste level, and he's willingly put himself down in a lower position. He, more than any, and I'm trying to make Koshi a big deal, but I want you to understand what an honor it was for us to see in the flesh somebody who has lived out Philippians chapter 2 when it said that Jesus had everything 
But he emptied himself and became like us. It was obedient, even to death on the cross. So there's this thing, okay, about emptying ourselves. And when we empty ourselves intentionally, on purpose, willingly, there's more room for God to fill us. And you know that this is the principle that makes sense because if you've ever gone somewhere really nice to eat, say like at dinner time, that special someone in your life has called you up or if they're your husband, they texted you from the other room and they said tonight, I've got reservations at your favorite restaurant. Now for Wendy, that would be Carabas. So if I told Wendy, I've got I've got reservations, we're going to Carabas and we're going to eat she would like early that morning she would start fasting she would it wouldn't be spiritual it would just be i'm not eating and she said why aren't you eating are you believing god for something yeah i'm believing god for more room to put more good food in <laughs> right i mean we do this all the time i'm not going to fill myself up with something during the day because there's something good tonight and we do that it's the same principle when we empty ourselves it's because we know that god's going to fill us with something better we're going to see that in Acts chapter 3, okay? Here's what's going to happen. We're just going to walk through it. I'm going to show you exactly how this takes place. In the end of chapter 2, it says, the last verse, that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And so this first part of Acts chapter 3 shows us an example of how that played out in the early church. This is how God added to their number daily. Things like this. It's interesting to me that it says, one day... Any particular day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. So you ever been just totally rocked by Jesus and it just lights you on fire? And the first thing that we think is, cool, well, I don't have to go to church anymore. Well, maybe you don't think that. Did I just share too much about me? <laughs> All I need is Jesus. But they were rocked in Acts chapter 2 with the power of the Holy Spirit. And here they are still at the same time going to prayer. Bless whoever's house on fire. They're, they're going to prayer at the same time. They didn't say, I don't need to do that anymore. They're still keeping with the ritual. They're still doing what they know will put them in a position to have more of God. They're not above that anymore. There's a movement in our faith today that's all about freedom. And I'm going to say this. I mean, I hope you hear my heart, okay? So it's all, we're all about freedom. You can't, I don't have to do anything. And guess what? You're right. You don't have to do anything if you're in Jesus. But if that's your attitude, it won't take long before you'll find yourself full of stuff and the stuff won't include Jesus. So when we have freedom in Christ, then anybody that comes along and says, well, you know, if you're a Christian, you probably would be doing these things. What do we call that person? Who knows the religious word? Legal istic. I didn't go on something you would say the whole world. Because I had to say legalistic, which is a weird thing. We call it legalistic. Well, oh, oh, you're one of those churches. You're one of those churches that makes people do things. Um, listen, here's the deal. Read the God, we read the Gospels, right? And how many times did Jesus say to his disciples, we're going to go and do these things? Follow me. Don't tell me to follow you. Do you know who I am? I am Peter. I am a fisher man. And Jesus said, oh, sorry, dude, I didn't realize that. I'm just the son of man. Follow me. Oh, you didn't say other man. You didn't say, please, are you commanding me? That's the answer that we get. 
But see, here's Peter and John, two guys who are full of the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're still doing the things that we think God wants to set us free from. He's, he's not a legalistic God. He's not making us do things. What you're going to see here is they become so full of the power of God that they can't get enough of God. Make sense? Sure. Don't look scary. Let's get down to verse 8. And let me just read this to you. Verse 8 says of the man, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Verse 8 is the verse that we all go, that's cool, right? Because there's a lame man, he can't do anything, and all of a sudden they pick him up, and he's jumping around, going crazy. We just picture people clapping, and he's walking with them. That's the great verse, right? But what you got to understand is there's no verse 8 without verse 1. Verse 8 doesn't happen if you don't have two men who are still willing to continue doing what they know they're supposed to do. Verse 2, we meet the man who is the primary player in the story. Um, Acts 4, 22, you want to turn there, you just jot it down. It says that he was over 40 years old. We know from Acts chapter 3, verse 2, that this man is carried to the same place at the same time every day all those years. Let's see, I can't name the players on the Miami Heat except for LeBron and Dwayne and some guy with the last name of Bosch. All the other guys, they got a ring, didn't they? They, got, they won the championship. But some of those guys just got carried, didn't they? Is that fair to say? They didn't really contribute. They just got carried to a championship. Look, we get this is the world's answer. Some of you, you got so much stuff going on in your lives. There's so much drama going on in your life. And you know what the world does? They tolerate you. Look at the person next to you. The world tolerates them. The world does not know what to do with drama. So the world tolerates drama. They pick him up. This is what we do every day. God, I have to pick this kid up again. You're 40 years old. They've been eating chips. You're fat. They pick him up. They carry him. They put him by the temple gate. Beautiful. There. See you tomorrow. They probably were so tired of doing it that they had all this rotation. They had the people that carried it to the game. They had a whole other separate team that carried it back home. That's what, that's what the world does. And the world's for you, the world's carrying you along. It's the world's only answer for people who are really hurting. They don't know how to fix it. They don't know how to heal it. They just carry you along. Jesus does not do that. The world tolerates, but Jesus recreates. And there's a lot of hope in that. The world just kind of tolerates your pain. They tolerate your addiction. The, the world does stuff like, um, not that anybody here would ever struggle with drinking too much beer, but here's how the world addresses alcoholism. They make the beer companies put a disclaimer at the end of their commercial about how you will drink responsibly. That's stupid. Because the people that they're marketing to that are going to make them rich, they don't want them to drink responsibly. They would like them to drink as irresponsibly as possible so they will drink as much alcohol as possible. And that means they're going to do stupid things as much as possible. We would even like for you to get addicted to our product so that you will continue to buy it. The world tolerates it. And then what happens is you become such a drunk 
that drunk people don't want to be around you. I mean, when you're too bad for the people that are drinking to be around you, that's not good. The world tolerates the addiction. Jesus' plan is to recreate you, to actually change you from the inside out. That's his plan. So this man's carried along every day and put it at the temple gates. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about the air, he looked at them for money. I read that verse, I always think about. I know we don't have a lot of it here in Atmar, but you go to Charlotte, go to the big city, and, and at the intersections there's somebody holding the sign, right? And that's what this guy's doing. I mean, he's, he, this is what he does. His lot in life is to hold a sign. We'll work for food, or he can't work, you know, we'll leave you alone if we'll give you money on us the next person. That's his whole lot in life. The question is, what do we do with that? What do we do with people like that? Um, Peter looks straight at him, verse 4. I thought about what, um, how ironic that is. I don't know what you do. Um, I know that when we go to India with Koshi, and he says, look, when we, like the day you go to the Taj Mahal, he'll tell you flat out, every stoplight you stop at on the way to the Taj Mahal, which is like about a 400-hour trip. It's about four hours. It feels like forever. And every stoplight, there's places that people just come running out. The kids are like doing the Cobra thing, and they're showing you stuff, and he's like, do not look at them. So you're telling me not to look at this kid who's got his face pressed up against the windshield right now? That's what I'm saying. Don't look. Don't, don't. If you look, they will not leave you alone. What? You drive up to an intersection and somebody holds up a piece of cardboard. And I'm just guessing here, you don't stare at them. Dude, what's up? How's it going? I got nothing for you. You just stare straight ahead. Man, this is the longest line. Please turn, 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 turn. Can I turn left on red? Can I turn left on red here? God, please turn green. You're taking the other one. Oh, that's super, that's green. Turn yellow, turn yellow. So I suppose. That's what we do. We try to, we just try to ignore the needs all around us. And I'm not throwing stones. Look, we're all in this together. We don't quite know what to do with it. But what did Peter do? He looked straight at the man. Not only did he look at the man, he talked to the man. He said, hey, 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 don't just look around me. Look at me. And so what did the man do? He gave them, it says, verse 5, the man gave him his attention. It literally means his full attention, expecting to get something from him. Now, let me just talk real honestly with the gathering. We are a church, okay? For better or for worse, we are a church that is screaming to the hurting world around us, look at us. There are other places, there are other people, there are other organizations that don't even say that, okay? They don't even want to take the time to be bothered with what's going on in the world around them. Um, in a few weeks, you're going to see men here at the church wearing these awesome black shirts that say security. <laughs> so I'm getting these security shirts made up. And I, here's how the conversation goes. And I'm not making fun of the person having the conversation. They said, um, so we see that you've got some shirts made that say security. 
Is that like a teaching that you're going to be doing about, like, you know, security? And I said, no. Why do you ask? Do y'all have problems? <laughs> I said, well, I am the pastor. Oh, no. She, she said, so, like, it's not a teaching series? Like, you, you're going to have, like, a security team? And I said, yeah. Why, why is that hard to imagine? Do you have people in your church that need security? <laughs> I said, yeah, you want to come? <laughs> I don't know about that. I'll, I'll pray about that one, right? But listen, here's the deal. I mean, we're not going to go nuts with it. Like, I don't think we're going to have, like, tasers and stuff. Although maybe on a day like today, it would wake some of us up. That would be kind of cool, right? Or it would wake everybody but the one person who taste us. We'd be like, takes you, you'd be out and shaking, and we'd all stand up and this is awesome. I love this church. We get shirts and I got tased in the gathering. It'd be awesome. Like, for the good visitors, we'll give them the red gathering t-shirts. For the other visitors, they get the I got tased in the gathering t-shirt. But here's the deal, and I'm not making fun, I'm just saying, look, I mean, when you start, when you have an organization, when you have a church that says to hurting people, look at us, then don't get all mad because they actually look at us expecting something. That's what the man did. He was thrilled out of his mind that somebody actually acknowledged that he needed something. And he looked at him. He looked at Peter. He looked at John. And he said, I think you're going to give me something. What? I'm ready. Come on, bring it on. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. God help us to never become a church where hurting people feel like we just look the other way. We're not going to be that church. Hurting people can actually look at us and say, you got something for me? And so what did he have for you? Verse 6. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The beauty of this verse is the simplicity behind it. He said there's something he had and there's something that he didn't have. He does not have silver or gold. Let me just make this point, okay? What he didn't say was, um, he didn't say, hey, like copper, I don't have. I mean, he went right to the good stuff. I don't have silver, I don't have gold. And I think the implication here is, if I had it, I'd give it to you. I'll give you the good stuff. Jesus is all about the good stuff. We don't have to talk about it right now, but, you know, Jesus' very first miracle, very first miracle, he's at a wedding, they run out of wine, you can have little arguments over lunch about whether that's grape juice or whatever, but I'm pretty sure what it says wine means wine. They ran out of the stuff. And his mom said, just go talk to Jesus. He'll take care of it. And Jesus is like, oh, woman, it's not my time. That's what it says, actually. I, I would recommend calling your mom a woman. <laughs> Unless you're Jesus, and apparently then you can do that. But, and the Bible says that he took water and made it into extremely good wine. Such good wine that the dude that was throwing the wedding party came out. To then and said, wait a second, um, listen, you're hosting this party, and let me tell you how this is supposed to work. You bring out the bad stuff when people are drunk. Because now I don't I don't drink, so literally the only time I've ever had a hangover was because I had too much Michael. 
but I bet, and this would be a fun little experiment, I bet you could do a lot of stuff with people that are drunk, right? And like, you could give them toilet water and say, dude, you're gonna love this stuff, it's awesome. And if they're drunk enough, they're gonna drink it, right? And I'm like, what is this stuff? Like, you don't wanna know, right? They bring out the bad stuff when they don't know. And the man said to Jesus, one second, you saved the best for life. You brought out the best stuff. Listen, our God is a God of excellence. Our God is a God who gives us the best stuff, not the worst stuff. Here's Peter saying, if I had silver, if I had gold, I'd probably give it to you. I don't have silver. I don't have gold. But I do have something that I can give to you. There's a man way back in the day. His name was Thomas Aquinas. I think I said his name right. Um, there's a story of him going to see the Pope. True story. And he's talking to the Pope. And the Pope is counting all the money that came in at the offering. Apparently the Pope didn't go to the gathering. So he's counting all the offering, right? And he looks at Thomas and he goes, guess what, Thomas? I'm paraphrasing. Thomas says, what? He, the Pope said, the church can no longer say silver or gold. Have we not? And Thomas said, that's right, Pope. And the church also can no longer say, rise and walk. Now, let's just drive this home. Okay? You give what you have. You give what you have. So let me ask you the question. What do you have? When God called Moses, Genesis, and in Exodus, he said this to Moses, what's that in your hand? Let me ask you that question. What's in your hand? We give what we have. So what do you have to give? I would say that in America, we give what we have. What we have is a couple dollar bills. Is it possible that we don't see these things happen here because we don't give the power of God? Because we don't have the power of God. <laughs> because we're too full of everything else. But when we empty ourselves, we create more room for God. Now, right away, we're all thinking this is a sermon about money, and it's not. You've got on your sheet, if you got a sheet, it's totally blank except for the top. I want you to fill in this. This is the big idea today. What you have is determined by what has you. What you have is determined by what has you. I could ask you a different way. I could ask you this. Are you possessed? Well, my head did turn around this morning while I was putting my lipstick on. <laughs> so maybe so. <laughs> no. Are you possessed? Do your possessions possess you? And I'm going to tell you, more times than not in our culture, if we're honest, and I can't make you be honest, I can only answer for me. The answer is yes. I am possessed by my possessions. I do not possess them. They possess me. What you have is determined by what has you. So what has you? Your job? Here's how you can tell. I've heard people say, 
I would love to do fill the blank for God. But I don't think I can do that. Why not? Well, I've got this job. You have a job or God has you. I don't think I can go and do that for God because I've got a family. Okay? I mean, I'm all, I'm all about family, right? You have a family or does the family have you? What you have to give is determined by what has you. We can take up a special offering right now. We're not going to do it. You know, I've told you the story before about the time in my life when I felt like God told me to always give the bigger bill in my billfold, which was scary. You know, people like your wallet because there's a missionary. And you, you know, I remember the first time that happened, I looked at my wallet and I had a 20 and I had a 1. And I felt like I pulled the 1 out. Because that's what you do, right? I mean, if it was like a tithe, 20, right? But that was an offering, a dollar. And so I pulled that dollar out. I know, I know God said, put that thing back, boy. You give the bigger bill in your wallet because this is a missionary. This is a man. This is a woman on the front lines. We're going to honor this person. We're going to have a culture of honor here. And you give the bigger bill. And and, and that worked for a couple weeks until I figured out just carry ones. (laughs) All the time. All the time. Give back curve because your wallet's this thick. You got like 50 ones in there, you know. I'm just ready. I'm just waiting on the Lord to come and give it. Sometimes what we do is we, we just count out like that to God. Because I'll give the one, because the one doesn't really have me. But the 20, whoa, the 20 has me. You see what I'm saying? I mean, this, this is the only point today. So you've got to get this, all right? You can walk out. I mean, today you walk out. This will not be when you go. Paul was amazing. That was kind of weird, but whatever. But you got to get this point, okay? If you get this point, we're done. I got nothing else. This is all I got today. Is that what you have is determined by what has you. And if I'm in this position, and I've been in this position, and and we keep talking about India because India is like this. This is what you see in India. And it's so easy in India to whip out the money. But Peter did not give the man what he wanted. He gave the man what he needed. He needed to be whole. He needed healing. And that's what Peter gave him. We give what we have. What we have is determined by what has us. And there's just no easy way to say that I want you to wrestle with that. I know that the, the trend is for pastors to make it easy on their churches, but I just can't do that here. I can't do that not in this passage. I mean, I really want you to struggle with this. I want you to wrestle with it. You know why? I want company. Because <laughs> I'm wrestling with it. I'm like, God, oh God, is it okay to have this? Is it okay to have this? Is it okay to have this? And I heard Amy Sinner say, you know, God wants us to be open-handed. And the best way that God can make us open-handed is to take things out of our hands. That's kind of tough to wrap your brain around. He'd like us to give it willingly, right? But maybe he's going to take it so that our hands will be open. I want us to be a church like this. And then it's okay to have stuff, right? It is okay to have 
like direct TV. It's okay to, you know, have a night where you go watch something, some movie, and it's fun, and you laugh. It's okay to do all that stuff. God's not against any of that stuff, but He wants you to hold it like that. Thank you, God, for letting me have this for a moment. Do you know what? You know what my greatest resources are? Parker, Will, Sydney. Your greatest resources? Your children. And God help me if I hold them like that. Well, for starters, they'll die. Right? Sometimes you want to hold them like that, you know? But if we hold our kids like that, I mean, just, just think about this. We hold them like this while we tell them God wants to do great things through you. He's going to send you all over the world. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be so good for his kingdom. Now go. 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 And they're like, I can't breathe. Because <laughs> we're saying go, and they're saying let go. Go. Now, listen. This is not about do we love Jesus. Okay? This is about do we trust Jesus? You see the difference? I'm not questioning whether you love Jesus or not. Only you can question that. I'm just going to question out do we trust him? Do we trust Jesus with what he's allowed us to have? What does that look like in America? Welcome to my world. We're trying to figure that out. But we at least want to try to figure it out. Uh, verses 7 to 10 just wraps up real quick. I love the fact that Peter didn't just pray. Um, he gave away a little bit more than just words. He actually reached out. He held the man up so that he could give the power of God room to operate. Um, you ever do this? You ever have people ask you to pray for them and they're sick? And so you pray for them, but you never really look at them? And they don't even ask them how they're doing? Because you don't want them to say, worse than before you started praying. We don't want our prayers to fail, right? Like I tell all the time, I was a chaplain for the North Carolina football team the year that they went 0 and 10. Yes. <laughs> yes. Guess what they didn't ask me to do the next year? <laughs> they got smart. They were like, you know, you prayed for us every game and we lost a lot of them. All of them actually by many, many points. <laughs> Won't you go pray somewhere else or some other team, right? <laughs> God is all about us giving him room to operate. And so there's nothing wrong with praying for something and then asking them, how's it going? He prayed, hey, I'm going to give you something. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And then he helped the man. He goes, I mean, whenever you're ready, right? I mean, you know, whatever. Go ahead, like next week or something. And I know where you're going with this, okay? Because you shop at Walmart. Right? A lot of you just rolled your eyes. So you do shop at Walmart. So how far do we go with this? Like if I see somebody in Walmart with crutches, do I tell them in the name of Jesus walk and then boom, boom? <laughs> and help them up off the floor? I mean, what, how far do we go with this, right? <laughs> how about you go as far as you feel like the Lord wants you to go? How about you at least go this far? Um, can I pray for you? Because I don't have I don't have a lot of money to give you. And even if I do, that's not what you really need. What you need is strength in your legs. Can I pray for you? I mean, that would be a major step for most of us, myself included. So 
I'm trying to picture the checkout line. Got the kids screaming to the mom about how they want that candy, and the mom's like, no, no, no. She's pulling her hair out, and then the kid's like, yes, and all of a sudden there's three kids, and they're all asking for candy, and the mom's freaking out. And then you notice the person in front of you that's got the crutches. You're going, God, seriously, like in this environment, you want me to ask if I can pray for them? I think I'm just going to get my $25 worth of Walmart stuff and get out of here. It'd be a huge step of faith just to say, pray with me. And if you do pray for them, just ask. If you, you feel anything different, can I, can I get your name? Can I keep praying for you? Can I keep asking? Peter didn't just pray more like a hit and run, you know, a drive-by prayer. Those are always fun. Save the sinner. What a drive-by prayer. He took time. I just want you to see that. I want you to get that. He prayed in faith and then he tested the prayer. Here's what we do. We pray without faith and never test it. He prayed knowing we pray hoping. I love verse 8. I can just picture verse 8. The man walks, then he jumps, and then he praises God. So once you see this is kind of how the world is, um, and we, I've seen this happen on other occasions. We don't like to test whether it's working, but they do. So if you pray, pray for somebody like this and they can't walk at all, and then they help him up. Can't you see them? They help him. Instead of actually he's clutching on to Peter and John. And then at some point he's like, wait, I'm standing? Wait. I'm walking? I'm jumping? And then boom, he's into it. I love that. I love that progression. I love it when God moves. That's how people respond. Verse 10, the people recognize the man. They could not deny the change. And that's what God's about at the gathering. That's what He's about at every church in this county. He wants every believer in this county to be an agent of change. He wants you to do such great, He wants to do such great works through you that people would say, wait, 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 wait a second. You're the guy that used to sit at the temple called Beautiful, that you used to sit there every day, like you're the 40 year old dude that's been sitting there because people have been carrying you. And I just noticed. They didn't carry you. What's up with that? Well, this, these guys named Peter and John, I thought they were going to give me some money. They told me to look at them, and so I did, and I held my hand out, and instead of giving me money, they pulled me up, and I started walking. And then I started jumping, and now I'm praising God, and not only that, check this out, we're going to go ahead and go into the temple. I love that. You know, the story says that they were headed to the temple. They kind of got a little interrupted here with this guy, and then they did all that happen, and they continued into the temple. That's how you deal with distractions and interruptions in your life. They didn't, like, turn into a healing ministry, right? Although they probably couldn't have. Like, suddenly put a sign up, Phew! Peter John, awesome healing ministry. Bring all sick and lame. Start doing, never go to the temple, just hang out right there. People would have left the temple and come to them. They didn't do that. They just went ahead and did what they were coming to do. We're all about being agents of change. Let's wrap this up. I want you to know, you hear me say the other six a lot. Here's what this means about the other six days. It means that God wants to do through us this kind of stuff, not just in here. I mean, it's awesome when God does it here, but He wants you to actually go sit at a restaurant today and eat lunch and see somebody, maybe your server, and ask them, how's it going? 
And the server, amazingly, when you ask your server if you can pray for them, you know what they usually say? No, I'm a devil-worshipping atheist. <laughs> no, that's not what they say. Because you can't actually be a devil-worshipping atheist. They, they don't say that. You know what they usually say? Um, wow, nobody's ever asked. We know, um, I don't really like being a servant. I'm kind of waiting on a better job. I'm thinking about going to school. I've got a mom. Can you pray for my dad? You know, I just lost my, my house. You know, I'm getting my, my best friend sick. It's amazing. Like, they'll take about 30 seconds before that you ask, and then they'll actually tell you what you can pray for them about. And then when you pray for them, as you pray for your food, and they're standing there and you do it, you know what they're usually doing when you're done? They're either crying or they're smiling, but they never have the knife like this. Ready to kill you. Because people love the power of God. They love the, a kind God that leads us to repentance. <laughs> And you need to go display that. That server may never make it here. I'd like for them to, but they may never make it here. But they will always be at that table waiting for you. Take the power of God with you when you go. Um, this is a, a good time to examine your heart. It's a good time to take stock of where you are. Um, we are a church that believes in giving you permission to be honest. Sometimes it's hard to be honest with yourself. But Psalm 139 23 and 24 says, Search me and know me. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the ways everlasting. This is a great time for us like this to do that. Just to close your eyes and say, God, search me. What, what really has you? What has me, God? What's, what's God holding me? I'll give you two that two you can pray about, okay? One, Friendships. Friendships have us. Now, we're all about relationships, and so don't think that we're supposed to be monks. Well, so not, right? Or nuns, as it may apply to women in the house. But friendships, they have us. Because you've got people in your life that you know you're supposed to tell something to, the truth about their life, and you won't do it because they might not be your friend anymore. What, what has you, that friendship? Here's another one. And this is only for the Christians in the house, okay? So if you're not a Christian, this is not upon you at all. You just get to sit back and watch Christians squirm now. And I hope you hear my heart, okay? It's not bad. It's not good when preachers say that. Um, our gifts have us. Our gifts have us. When I can take my gift, which is apparently teaching, and I can say, here you go. If I never teach again, I'll be sad, because I like doing this, it's fun. But it's not about me, it's about you. So, here. But usually what I say to God is, um, you gave me this gift, and I'm amazing at it. For you, of course. Your glory, God. Your glory, right? So put me in a place where I can do it. Whatever the gift is. Listen, can I just ask you this? Would you be willing to just do that with it?
Oh, you have an agenda for saying that. I really do have an agenda for saying that. My agenda is that we would like live out acts. <laughs> just what if we just did that? But our American Christian church culture is built on the premise of the gifted. And so the really good get the mics. Because we're holding our gifts like this. Just that. Just that. And you know what happens when you do that? You still get to do all the gifts. You still get to sing, teach, dance, whatever, whatever we do. Are people gifted in nursery? I don't know. Is that, is that a gift? That's <laughs> yes. yes. a ball, dude. Um, but whatever it is, then we get to do it. And God still wants us to do it, but it's just it's what He decides. It's a lot to think about, so we're going to pray. If what we have is determined by what has us, I want Jesus to have me. I just want Jesus to have me. And I'm praying this morning that it's what you want as well. God, this is a tough one. And um, it's probably not fun to hear. It wasn't a lot of fun to teach. But at the end of the day, God, all I can say for me is that I want to have you. I want to have your power. And the only way for that to happen is for you to have me. I want to empty myself. I want to open my hand. I just want to let you do what you want to do through me. And, and I know that I'm not the only one here. I know that you are busy in this church. You are raising up this generation of the church. And, and man, it is an awesome generation. It is an awesome gifted generation of believers. It is a movement, Lord, that we probably could pull some of this stuff off without you, but you're giving us a passion to not want to try it. Just to open our hand and say, thank you for what you've given me, and I'm giving it back to you, because I'm yours. I'm just a vessel, and you do through me what you want, when you want, where you want. My life is for your glory. And God, I just pray that you would burn and burn even brighter in this church as we give you ourselves as a sacrifice. That's a hard thing to do, God. But what does it look like tomorrow morning? I pray that when we wake up, God, when our feet hit the floor, the first thing out of our mouth is got a currency in your hands. Spend me anywhere you choose. Spend me where you get the most return on your investment. I'm yours. Because when you have us, your power will come out of us because it will be what we have to Your energy.